Progressive presents an interview with your upstairs neighbor. Hey, it's Rick from upstairs. Yeah, I take it seriously. When I play R&B at one in the morning, that's me saying, hey, I'm here for you. And I enjoy repetitive bass lines. I only use expired batteries in my smoke detectors. <laughs> nice, right? Yeah, upstairs neighbors help people forget their troubles. Give them something else to focus on. Ooh, want to see how high I can jump? Progressive can't save you from your upstairs neighbor. No, wait, let me try again. But we can save you money when you bundle renters and auto insurance with us. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hi, this is Manjula Narayan, National Books Editor, Hindustan Times, and this is the Books and Authors podcast. It's a weekly podcast where I speak to authors who've got a new book out. Welcome to the Books and Authors podcast, and today I have with me Farooq Dhondi who's um, uh, got a new book out, Rumi, a new collection, selected and translated, that he selected and translated. Uh, hi, Farooq. Hello, Manjula. Glad to be here. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, Rumi is everywhere. Like you mentioned in your translator's note, you know, he's on iPhone covers. He's on, you know, he's on everything. And he's been like kind of dumbed down for some strange reason when actually he's got so much depth. So just talk about that. We'll start with that. You know, Rumi is um, the 14th century's uh, great poet of philosophical uh, Islam. In fact, his Masnavi has been called the Quran in verse. He is the central thinker of Sufi thought. Now, yes. uh, the material civilization of, say, America or the West or the imitative Indian civilization in, or uh, section of the Indian civilization in its imitation of America have, feel that they need a sort of spirituality. And they've resorted, uh, you know, apart from all the godmen of India, they've begun to resort to Rumi as an easy option to gain that spirituality. And so you get people like Madonna, for God's sake, um, who thinks that she is attaining some kind of spiritual um, dimension by adopting Rumi's verses. Then there's the secondary thing about Rumi talks about love. When he talks about love and when all Sufis talk about love, they mean love for the beloved who is God, and God yes. is within you, and so on. It's it's almost an, an uh, Bhagavad Gita uh, concept of the universe being a will of energy and yes. consciousness being Maya and so forth. And uh, it's almost that. It's not quite. And what they think of as love is, you know, the girl next door or the boy next door or somebody yeah. that they long for in their heart. They don't see it as the Sufi metaphor for God. And so the popularity has spread as though he was some kind of pop singer, which of course he wasn't. He was a Sufi philosopher. Yeah, uh, you mentioned it too, like the idea of the Saki, you know, I think they, and you say that, you know, perhaps they think he's the barman or something, you know? Yeah, the, the Saki is, in, in, in Sufi metaphor, somebody who feeds you the elixir of enlightenment. 
So it says, fill my cup, right? It doesn't mean I'm walking into the local coach and horses and asking for a double whiskey. Uh, You you say, Saki, fill my cup. And of course, people think that this drunkenness that the Sufis talk about is actually alcoholic-induced or NSD-induced, or ganja-induced, but it isn't. Mm-hmm. What they're talking about is bring me the kind of selflessness in abandonment that mm-hmm. an intoxication can bring. And they want the intoxication of spirituality, not the intoxication of alcohol. Yes, losing oneself in the Almighty, right? Yeah, they, they make, a, they make uh, you know, they've turned the metaphor of Persian and Sufi poetry into the trivialities of uh, modern civilization, which is why he is, uh, of course, so popular. I wouldn't say he is popular. Some idea of gaining spirituality has become popular in the West because we are, I mean, the civilization is so materially orientated. That, that people are seeking outlets. You see the number of people who do meditation and um, do Buddhism. For God's sake, Buddhism is a, a, a atheistic religion which mm. wants renunciation, wants freedom from life. And yes. what these people think of is, if I do meditation, I can gain a new Rolls Royce. It's, uh, it's pretty vile and opposite to what it should be. Hmm. What what made you decide to do this project, you know? Uh, well, <clears throat> this is my second book of Rumi. And I tell you, I'd heard of I'm a, a Parsi Zoroastrian and yes. lived in a joint family earlier and, you know, with my grandfather and aunts and so forth and would hear about Rumi all the time. I never bothered to look into and uh, a translation, either in Gujarati or in Hindi or Urdu, or of course I can't read Persian. I know a few sentences of Persian. I know a few words in it. Obviously, it's you know having having uh, translated two books of Rumi, but I don't speak Persian. What happened was I was going to Australia on a film project, and a friend of mine gave me a book of American translations of Rumi in English and said, mm. at last you can catch up with somebody you've known about all your life. On the plane, it takes you know, 12 hours or whatever to get to Australia. I tried to read this book, and it was a load of rubbish in that you know, <laughs> mixed, mixed metaphors, uh, you know, uh, advertisements, ad- advertisements speak, and uh, mm. no rhyme, no rhythm, no nothing. So I, I just cast the book away. When I came back, I told my mamaji, Rashid Mamu, my late mama, that this Rumi that you talk about is a lot of rubbish, isn't it? And he said, how dare you? I mean, he would have slapped me, but he didn't. And what he did was he began to recite from memory uh, Rumi's poems in Persian. And I said, hang on, that's iambic pentameter. I said, hang on, that's iambic pentameter 400 years before Shakespeare. Mm. And I said, what does it mean? So he began translating it. I said, hold on, hold on, get, let me get a pen and a piece of paper. And I did that. I wrote down his literal meaning. And that night, I must have translated 
about the two poems that he gave me the meaning of. And then I got into it. I said, for God's sake, I want to know this. And I want to do it in the rhythm that he wrote in, in the rhyme that he wrote in. And I want to make sense of the metaphors as English poetry would require them. You know, you don't say, uh, you know, the bearded man is a thistle or some rubbish that they write. <laughs> so that's how I got into it. And of course, I became addicted to it. I am not a spiritual person. I, I think Sufism is beautiful, but apart from its beauty, I don't know about its truth. Hmm. How did you like, you know, getting back to the translation? So yeah. you don't you read Farsi? No, I don't read Farsi. I read, um, I read Hindi, I read Urdu, I read English. And what I did was got my friend who reads, who reads Farsi, to whom the book is dedicated. He, oh. unfortunately, he died recently. Oh. Um, Ali. I used to sit with him and he would translate it into very bad English and um, into Urdu and so on. And I would understand each sentence, each metaphor, and try and catch on to the Persian myself, and then take it away and wrestle with it, turn it into iambic pentameter, to turn it into acceptable verse and rhyme. Okay. That's how it happened. You know, when I was reading it, yeah. So then I guess that's how this, um, and you mentioned it as well, uh, you know, the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam. Like, yes. when I first, I, I didn't read the translator's note. I just started reading it. And I said, yes. oh, this this has echoes of that. And then you, when I got to the translator's note, you you have mentioned, uh, mentioned it. And so clearly your attempt is to go back to an earlier sort of Victorian um, way of translating the, these things. Is that right? Um, I don't think it's a Victorian way at all. I think the English that I've used is extremely modern. It's the kind of English. It's the kind of English that I will speak. You know. Yes. Um, yes. Um, there, there, there is no sort of awake for morning in the bowl of light has flung the stone that stars to flight. Um, yes. That's Edward Fitzgerald, and it's yes. very beautiful. And mm. the, the story in our family is that my great-grandfather, Jamsid mm. Saklatwala, he mm. translated Omar Khayyam, and mm. uh, I've got the book somewhere. And he wrote in his preface, uh, this is much better than Edward Fitzgerald <laughs> because it's more accurate. And mm. obviously, he knew Persian and he was translating, and it might be more accurate, but it's pretty stone dead. It has no music to it. Whereas Fitzgerald may not be that accurate in translation, but it's uh, it's very beautiful and it's mm. it's pretty eternal. It will last forever mm. as long as people read English poetry. Mm. No, what I meant was not the language. I meant I meant the sensibility of it. You know, uh, uh, which is different from all the others that you've mentioned. It's an yeah. It's an attempt to try. My, my translations are not an attempt to. Um, to to imitate uh, the, the Victorian translation of Edward Fitzgerald, but certainly to try and get the beauty of it into the rhyme and the rhythm, which, of course, the original in Persian, if you listen to anybody reciting it, it has that. It has a music to it, and I wanted that music, that rhyme, that rhythm to actually reverberate in, in the translations. 
And in that sense, uh, yes, it is imitative of a certain Victorian discipline, but not the language. Okay. We're off for a short break. Join me and Farooq Dhundi in part two to learn more about his new selection and translation of Rumi's poetry. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.